0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full turns at mintmobile.com.
1: Few things are more devastating than a loved one that's gone missing. From Wondery, The Vanished is a podcast where host Marissa Jones tells stories of missing persons that have gone overlooked. She seeks out the real story from friends and family, hoping to help them find their loved ones, or at least a sense of peace. Listen to The Vanished podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app.
2: All right, everybody. Welcome back to Reasonable Doubt, the podcast. My name is Rob Rosen. I'm the creator and executive producer of Reasonable Doubt.
3: And I'm Fatima Silva, criminal defense attorney and co-host of Reasonable Doubt.
4: And my name is Detective Chris Anderson. I am a retired homicide investigator and co-host of Reasonable Doubt.
3: All
2: right, so for the second week in a row, we've actually got a case here uh, where we're talking about a friend convicted of killing one of their own friends. And it's kind of an interesting dynamic, right? I mean, we had that last week with Ken Anderson. Uh, We have it again this week uh, in this case.
4: Yeah, yeah, it is pretty interesting to see these cases. And the dynamics of this case is very, very um, interesting, to say the least.
2: Episodes of Reasonable Doubt every Monday night, 10 o'clock on Investigation Discovery. So here's a little uh, warning. Um, Nothing but spoilers to come. So if you haven't watched the show yet, please Pause the podcast, watch the show, and then come back to us. Um, But if you did watch the show, let's just start you off with a little bit of a refresher on this
4: case. April 4th, 2014, Lakeside, Virginia. A young man named Jason Fuller goes to visit his uncle. He walks into the house and finds himself in the middle of a crime scene. His uncle, 68-year-old Roy Fuller, is on the floor, dead. He's been stabbed more than 100 times. One week later, there's a break in the case. Someone repeatedly tries to use one of Roy's credit cards. Turns out it's one of his oldest friends, 47-year-old Bruce Walton.
3: December 2014 Bruce Walton goes on trial for the murder of his longtime friend There is almost no physical evidence The case basically comes down to the fact that Walton used a dead man's credit card Walton claims Roy gave him the card to use for emergencies The jury does not believe him Bruce Walton is convicted of first degree murder and is sentenced to 128 years in prison. You want to make sure that the system got it right in every case, but I, I don't know if I've ever wanted to help people so much just because they've already been through so much in life that they just kind of deserve a break. You know, it's just this family is, it's, um, you know, not everything can make it in the show. And and a lot of it isn't even, you know, necessarily relevant, but, you know, Bruce and his sisters, they were, um, you know, victims of sexual abuse and, um, you know, they were offered drugs at a young age. Obviously, you know, they started using very young and that's what got Bruce addicted. Um, You know, they were poor and they didn't have, They didn't have much and a lot of his, yeah, a lot of his crimes in the beginning is trying to steal food for his family. It just, it really breaks your heart because it's, it's like, wow, these people have already been through so much in life. Please let this not be true so that we can help them and give them some, some light um, in the midst of all this darkness. Is that how you felt, Chris?
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, um, it was tough to hear the uh, things that this family had to go through. Uh, And I know what you mean by when you say we want to help everybody, uh, you know, but just so so our fans will understand, uh, people that are listening to this podcast, that, you know, we, we believe we help people in every single case that we look into. But I understand exactly what we had to go through in order to just get to the point of even li- hearing the story. Because the families, the family story, that the way that they grew up, it, it was it was tough to listen to. Mm-hmm. They were very very open. They were very very emotional. And you can still see the scars that were left on them from their from their upbringing. The the emotional scars that they still carry with them even today. So yeah, it was it was tough to. Uh, hear about the story. But going back to the case, now this, this case that we looked into, it, it, was, uh, it was pretty interesting.
2: One of the things at first blush when we took this case that I thought was really compelling was that Roy Fuller's body was found by his nephew, Jason. And talk about fishy um you know he's going through his pockets he's moving Mm -hmm. marijuana plants out you asked the lead investigator about this and i want to play that clip and i want to find out from you if you were satisfied basically with his answer
4: so to me being an investigator looking from the outside that seems suspicious why was he ruled out as a suspect sure it's suspicious to me as well, but his story on his whereabouts checked out at
5: that point Jason didn't come into Richmond but maybe once a month to see his uncle and his phone records showed that okay
4: is it the investigator statement in, in in regards to Jason yeah it, it sufficed as and because they corroborated everything that was suggested with the phone records
3: but you know ultimately there's always plenty of suspects and it's something that you and I you know, we'll always take a look into, especially on these kinds of cases, right? Because the, mm-hmm. the evidence just isn't. When we first look into these cases, it's like, okay, this is really light. I'm, I'm not seeing, you know, um, the nail in the coffin here. So let's keep our options open. And that's one thing we always do. And in this case, too, there were endless possibilities when it came to suspects. The neighbor who eventually um, was the one who reported that, you know, um, that Mr. Fuller hadn't left his home, but he was somebody who was there every day smoking with him um and and a lot of other shady characters that would go over and smoke weed with him uh so you know to say that um <laughs> it doesn't mean that everybody who smokes weed is shady but these are people who you know they were close to roy they were they were uh often there they knew you know if he had money if not or somebody maybe who had a vendetta right because that's what you think about with this many stab wounds you just don't know um but all those people whether they're looked into or not doesn't take away from the evidence that stacks up against, you know, Bruce in this case, which um, outside of the leads, you know, there was other evidence that when you're a family member, maybe you just can't see it. But from the outside looking in, it's like, wow, that's pretty damning information.
2: What I do want to ask you about, um, I want to play a clip. You met with uh, Roy Fuller's daughter, Stephanie.
3: About a month after your dad's murder, Bruce Walton is arrested for trying to use his credit card. Yes. Yes. Bruce claims that your dad gave him his credit card to use, helping him get back on his feet. What do you make of that? It's just so
1: unlikely. My dad wouldn't have been comfortable putting himself in a position where other people were spending his limited fixed income. All of my family members, none of us would ever consider asking my dad for a gift or a loan of money. How come? Because he lived in an inherited house. He lived off social security income. He smoked weed. He didn't have money.
3: It was so lovely to meet Roy's daughter. She was, uh, such a a sweet person. And, um, you know, I got to learn more about Roy and, um, he seemed like a great guy and, and she just obviously adored him, but you know, Aside from that, what I really took away f- from the opportunity of sitting down with her is a little more about his habits. That's what's important to me, right? So, uh, what are his spending habits? What are his, you know, how does he track his finances? Does he track them, um, you know? And and what does he have in his house that's of value, monetary or anything else that could give me some kind of indication of, you know, the the main question here is: Did Roy just give Bruce his credit card? And I know to some people. That you know that may seem crazy, but I've definitely given my brother my you know my credit card before um, when he was down and out in hopes that you know uh, he he could get some help. But the difference is you know it's somebody I trust, um, and maybe it's uh, like you know somebody who doesn't really care. Hey, go spend not a lot, please, but you know obviously not keeping track of my spending as well as I should. What I took out, uh, what I took away from that interview was. Um, it was verification that Roy lived paycheck to paycheck and he lived on a very limited means. Yes. He had some cash in his drawer. Um, It seems like maybe that was an emergency stash that a lot of people have, but, I mean, nobody balances their checkbook that way if they're just going to give their credit card to somebody else to use. And the house, um, you know, photos of the house, things were falling apart. That was an inherited home for him. He didn't do any upkeep, any renovations. Uh, I think even Chris, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, the police department even struggled with getting any evidence off of things because it was just so dusty and dirty and and a mess. It was... Mm -hmm. Um, hard to lift any kind of prints or anything like that. So, you know, this isn't somebody who has, uh, you know, an unlimited budget. who's was just, just does, it did, seemed out of character to just give somebody his credit card, but not just anyone, you know, something we kept reading throughout the police reports and the statements where a lot of people referred to Bruce, unfortunately, as crackhead Dwayne, Um, That was his nickname. And everybody really said he was shady. Um, There was somebody who made an allegation that, you know, he had even opened his door to Dwayne standing there with a knife. I mean, these are, you know, allegations that we can't verify, but they were statements given to police that, um, you know, somebody else felt like, Uh, you know, Bruce was going to rob his home or harm him. And then he ended up going home because he didn't realize that the person was, was there, but you know, this is somebody who doesn't have the greatest reputation. I'm sure Roy was very familiar with the reputation. He had him at his house, you know, smoking. And, um, this was somebody that a, a lot of his, um, deadhead friends who are normally, you know, marijuana smokers didn't really like around because they knew that he dealt with crack and they felt like that was dangerous and scary and they didn't like Roy hanging out with them. So, I mean, it just, it, you know, we'll never know, but it just, it seems so unlikely that Roy would actually, you know, voluntarily give his credit card to somebody like that.
2: And Chris, didn't you hear something from the lead investigator that also sort of, uh, poked some holes in Bruce's version of that credit card?
4: yeah so so there was information that I got from the lead investigator in this case that Bruce, that the victim was actually using his credit card at the time that Bruce says that he gave it to him, so that was you know that just threw so many holes in in Bruce's statement about him having a credit card for a long period of time.
2: It seems like a lot of times and I know I bring this up sometimes on the podcast, but it seems like a lot of times uh, a convict kind of sends us off in one direction and we all zig but it's very possibly made up. Chris, I mean, in an investigation, is that something you ran into a lot uh, when you were working homicide?
4: Oh, yeah, absolutely. You'll, you'll have uh, suspects that'll send you off in another direction. I hope it's kind of that that almost that red herring. You know, I want you to look over here while I'm, I'm steadily making my moves over on this side. You know, so, yeah, I ran into it a lot. Uh, but as an investigator, you have to stay focused on the mission, on the goal is to find some truth and some justice for the victim in these cases.
3: You know, and so when we're sitting across from these families, we really do try to um, give them some answers to their leads. That's the, that's the main goal. Is they come to us with these leads and and those are the things keeping them up at night. And so anything that we can give them that's going to help them sleep better and say, "Okay, I could check that off my list. Somebody looked into it. I got an answer. Done." You know, but but Chris and I don't work in that closed box either. We're looking at the entire case. We're looking into everything, and there's just some things that, you know, families choose not to see or um, just to, you know, ignore some evidence that, that, you know, should be weighed. Um, and so there was a lot more in this case, you know, um, in addition to, to some of the things we've already talked about, you know, was another issue of, uh, um, Bruce's own stepbrother saying that, uh they had partied not, you know, too long after Roy had, um, you know, been killed and that while they were partying and, you know, they were, they were really high, um, that Bruce was emotional saying he did something really terrible and, um, you know, that he, he didn't want to live and that, you know, we don't know what that is exactly. Um, but that, definitely is something that, you know, we considered. Um, another thing is, uh, somebody else is, is, you know, that another acquaintance of his who noticed he had a credit card. He told them, uh, allegedly he told them that he got it in a hot situation. Um, and so these are statements of people that are close to him that are his friends, um, or should be. And so when it's coming from them, that, you know, definitely makes you, uh, take a second look. Um, there was also, you know, he had said, uh, that, you know, he was sober and that's what he had told Chris, you know, and what was really interesting to us that night is, uh, his phone usage that yes, he's not really on his phone during around the time that Roy's allegedly murdered, but that, Those late hours of the morning, like two, three, four in the morning, numerous calls to his drug dealers. Um, And so that was very telling, right? He's going on a binge that night, whether he was already high or not. He's making those calls early morning hours. um, And and, and,
2: and how much how much did that play into it? Because I'm going to play a clip from Chris's interview uh, with Bruce. Where he, where Chris, you asked them straight out
4: around about the time of the murder, were you back on drugs? No,
5: no, I had had slips while I was on probation, but I was doing good at the time.
4: How frequent were the slips? I'm gonna guess it maybe once a month. You do realize that you're talking to a law enforcement officer who's dealt with a lot of people that have addictions. I have never, ever, ever seen a person that's addicted to crack cocaine say that they only had slips for maybe once a month. If you have a slip, then it, it goes. Maybe it was more than, than, than once a month. I don't know. Yeah. So that statement there played a lot into my decision. Uh, and, and not necessarily my decision, but how I felt about Bruce himself, you know, it, it, uh, Look, drug addiction is addiction, man. It is. It is. It can get very, very bad. And some. And and in most cases, a lot of the people that are addicted to different types of drugs, they act way outside of their character, and you can tell it. Especially when you when you start to look back at some of the. You go back and look into the phone records and and the late night calls and the fact that he was just a mile away from from the house. So, yeah, uh, when you're looking into a case like this where you have a possible wrongful conviction, these are huge things that you'll have to overcome. And in my experience, you know, Bruce Walton was not being as honest as he should have been during my uh, phone interview
3: what it tells you is is just a different version of what Christina and Dana had said. You know, at first we're listening uh, to a story about a guy who's, you know, cleaned up his life. He's walking the straight and narrow. He's trying really hard. And in a scenario like that, you think, well, why would somebody just, uh, you know, out of nowhere do this? Um, but then you start to look at the timeline, the calls, the, you know, what other statements that are being made about him partying and, and using, and you realize, okay, well, this story can make sense. It's somebody who is, they're not on the straight and narrow, they're looking to score, they need some money. Um, and, um, you know, they are definitely using and we know those early morning hours of the night that Roy was allegedly murdered, um, that he, he is looking to score. And, you know, that just it doesn't it doesn't fit with the version that they gave. So unfortunately it's not something we can, we can roll with. Um, Also, you know, there was another, another tip that his sister had given was that um, the way that, you know, Bruce had found out about the murder was weeks later through a neighbor. Um, and she kept saying, I wanted that neighbor to testify because he could testify that, you know, he could, that he told Bruce what happened, that Bruce was shocked. And, um, you know, so she kept saying that. And so throughout that week, even though it wasn't a lead, because she kept saying that I did track down that neighbor and I made a call to him and um, very nice guy took time to speak with me. And he remembers the case clearly. And he says, no, I, I refused to testify because I told her that... I wasn't going to lie that I never told Bruce about, um, Roy dying. And as a matter of fact, Bruce came over one day looking for a ride and I closed the door on him because he is, he is a very shady character. I don't trust him. Um, and I, I don't think Roy should have ever trusted him. And when I asked him, you know, would Roy have ever given out his credit card to you or anybody else? He said, absolutely not. And he especially wouldn't have given it to Bruce. You know, that, once again, all of this is just hearsay. It's somebody's own opinion. Um, But it paints a different picture than what his family members painted of him. And that does mean something to us. And they are things we have to take into consideration.
1: Few things are more devastating than a loved one that's gone missing. From Wondery, The Vanished is a podcast where host Marissa Jones tells stories of missing persons that have gone overlooked. She seeks out the real story from friends and family, hoping to help them find their loved ones or at least a sense of peace. Listen to The Vanished podcast wherever you get your podcasts, or you can listen ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app.
2: It definitely seemed that over the course of the week, um, so when we started off with the plea, we had heard the credit cards were given, you know, Roy Fuller to one of his good friends. He's a generous guy. He gave it to Bruce to help him get back on his feet. And that story started to crumble, especially with the uh, information from the lead detective. Bruce had cleaned up his act. He wasn't on drugs. That story started to fall apart. And then the other story that really fell apart was this alibi. Um, Dana, who I know, you know, she's a a great woman and she's standing by her brother. She was very, very certain at the beginning of the week that 100% that night he was at the house. But when you presented her with the cell phone records and the results, all of a sudden she wasn't quite so sure.
5: I think he was there earlier. And I think that I may have had... The two dates confused as far as what time at night he left. But I do know that he was at my house that day. Did he come back to your house that night, Dana? You know, in all honesty, I cannot remember.
4: But when we met on Monday, you were sure that he was at your house and he left your house at 1130. I can't remember.
3: You know, it is extremely frustrating for Chris and I to you know, take the time out and sit with the family. And this is this was a main issue. This was his alibi. She presented us with a photo. And, you know, she was really persistent that there was just no way because he was with her. And, you know, ultimately, when she just can confesses, well, I don't know, I could have got the date wrong. It's like, Oh, my gosh, you know, that just sent us down you know, an entire different path. Of course we were gonna check it out, but um, you know, we really trusted her on that. And it seems like it's just a family member willing to do and say anything.
4: By the time we got back to the table, we we kinda we just knew. I mean, it, it's just, it's 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 hard to hear, it's hard to, to to swallow. We were we were back to the red herring scenario again. You know, I, I felt like they were they, they painted this picture and 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 this they they painted this picasso and presented us a picasso and then when we get to the 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 end of our investigation it's the de la ghetto you know what i mean it's, 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 <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they give us they gave us one thing and then that is they, very yeah. poetic thank you i appreciate it i came up with that on my own too. Uh, you so you told me i needed to relax more on these podcasts this is what i'm doing this is this is relaxed chris anderson i love it
3: and there's so many there's so many other things too that chris and i you know that they you don't see on the show that is taken into consideration that you have to think about and i something that was just so strange too is like you have this person's credit card for two weeks right Mm. so it's not just a day in case of emergencies you were you had to go somewhere maybe you needed gas you have it for two weeks um And not only that, but you make no phone calls to Roy in those two weeks. And you're mm-hmm. making plenty of phone calls. He, you know, right. based on his uh, his phone records, this guy's a talker. He's on his phone often. He, he's like me. Um, and so, you know, you're making a lot of phone calls and you're not calling this guy at all. And then you definitely don't call him um, to give him a heads up that you're going to use the credit card. But then here's the kicker. After the credit card's denied at one store and you try it at another store, you don't even call him in between that and go, right. Hey, Roy, did you cancel your credit card? You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, trying I'm having to use- some
4: trouble you know, there's
3: no calls made to Roy, right. uh, from Bruce throughout that time. And it's just suspect. So, mm-hmm. you know, you put it all together at the end. Yeah. Unfortunately it wasn't a case we could get behind as much as I would have loved to do it for Dana and Christina and, and heal that family or give them hope. I think this is the, the only way, um, that they'll, they'll ever have hope is is hopefully just moving on and and yeah. you know living their life i don't know if dana will ever be able to do that but hopefully christina can
4: it's, it's just one of those families that you fall for you know you, you want to see a win for them and we get through this investigation and and like we said, we can't help them it's, it's just another you know strike that they've had to go through
2: well um, guys it's
4: uh
2: uh a good segue that you talked about uh, this family and how much you fell in love with them because we have Dana on the phone to give us a little bit of an update on uh, what's going on with her family.
3: Dana, I wish I could hug you through this Zoom call. How are you?
5: I'm fine. Thank you so much. And, you know, I I, I just want to start by saying I apologize for being such a weepy eye, But I, tell you, I think really it was the first time I'd really like let myself cry. No, oh, wow. and that's
3: good. I could tell, you know, a lot of times on this show, Chris and I, we sit with extremely strong women, a lot of moms and, um, you know, sisters like yourself, sister moms in your that's case. Right. And, you know, we have seen, uh, you know, tough as nails, women just release, you know, this grief yeah. and hurt and pain. Yeah. And that's definitely, um, you know, what we experienced with you. And I-, I hope, in some way, it was a little therapeutic for you. Um, oh, we didn't want to sure. just dig it up and hurt you, mm-hmm. but we- exactly.
4: What I found is that it's usually those strongest women, those those more the, the more compassionate women. Those are the ones that are more sensitive. You know, in some in some cases, you know, they use that so. that that strength and that courage to help guard and shield that hard, that big old heart of theirs. So I appreciate you for uh, being who you are.
5: Thank you so much. Uh, that means a lot to me. And I appreciate everything that y'all did. Even though you didn't feel like you could take the case, I still feel very thankful that you even brought any light to my brother's case at all because I've tried really hard. Um, you know, I've reached out to many people uh, over the course of time. I was never able to get anyone to actually want to look at the case or or participate at all. So I'm very thankful.
3: You know, you guys have been through so much, and it was just one of those cases where we would have loved to bring you um, that light at the end of it and say we're going to give you some hope, but. You know ultimately because we care for you um you know and because we we know that you opening up to us and trusting us meant that we had to be 100 percent truthful and honest you know we had sure. to bring you that bad news and i
4: understand that i understand so Dan- dana has anything changed with uh you know your brother's case
3: um well
4: i
5: have sent in a letter of correction to the supreme court You know, in court, they said there was no blood to be tested, but there is some blood there, and whoever it is, I mean, I want to know whose blood it is that, that they can test because they said that they have a sample of blood for testing. And so if it's not my brother's, I want to know who it is. But first and foremost, I'd like to say before I say anything else, that if there is anyone out there that is watching this show, if you have any information that will bring some relief to Boy Fuller's family, first and foremost, I want that. If you know anything, if you have the slightest bit of information, even if you think that it is not meaningful, if you think you saw something on That weekend of March 28th, 29th of 2014, if you think you saw anything, you think you saw a vehicle, you think you saw a person, please come forward. I'm begging you. I'm begging you. With every step of my breath, I'm begging you to please come forward, no matter what you think it is. If you think you saw my brother, if you think you saw a stranger, if you think you saw a vehicle, anything at all. Dana,
2: I have a question. One thing that struck me watching um, watching everything down, uh, especially in the results, is you were very open to hearing the new evidence that Chris and Fatima presented, more so than uh, a lot of loved ones. Um, you were open to hearing about the cell phone records, which weren't helpful Did any of that stick? Did did any of that make you look at this case a little bit different than you did before?
5: The cell phone records. What they show is yes, my brother was out and about. So for me, for someone to be up at night out is not necessarily so bad. It's if they're now. If my brother was out doing committing that crime, then I would want him where he is. In all honesty, but. There is really nothing that anyone has been able to bring to me that says that my brother wasn't.
3: Well, Dana, let me ask you this, because you said something that kind of concerns me only because, you know, when you call us in, you're saying you're open to hear the truth, You're open to to accepting at least some evidence, right? I am. And you said that, you know, if your brother was up late, that's not a big deal. And I just want to clarify that you know, that our issue wasn't your brother was up all hours. And, and, you know, although those things matter, um, well, to it, doesn't timeline, look it doesn't look good, but, but that wasn't, that wasn't, I mean, by no means is. <laughs> I'm a late night owl too. I'm never going right. to judge somebody for that. Right. I think the key here was that he doesn't have an alibi for the time of the murder. He just doesn't. And as a matter of fact, not only does he not have an alibi, he's in the area where the murder could have been committed. So, well, what and do the you thing think about, about
5: that, well, what I think of it is that my sister lived my I mean, I'm sorry, my daughter, and even today where I'm at, okay, is literally the street that my brother was on.
4: Okay? Did your daughter testify or did she say anything that would suggest that your brother visited her during the no, time that this and murder? She happened?
5: Didn't, no, sir, and she did not say that he did, but but you know. When you leave my house, which is three and a half miles where I where I did live, which was a major intersection. Okay, I lived at I lived at a major intersection. And if you come down the road to Hermitage, which is the road that we lived on, it's a it's three and a half miles. So it's a common thoroughfare. I drive this way all the time. It's not an extraordinary or unordinary to drive literally almost like right in front of Roy's house. And I know that as much pain as I've been able to withstand in my lifetime and as much pain as my will be been able to withstand, we are not mean people. We're forgiving.
4: Dana, okay, let me ask you, how is Bruce doing? How is he holding up?
5: Uh, I think it was hard for him that... Um, that y'all said that you wouldn't take the case. He said that it was hard, but you know, um,
3: did you ever after? And and tell me, tell me honestly, after our conversation, did you take some of these things back to Bruce and ask him to explain them?
5: Well, I I, I did. I, well, as far as as far as. Like the cell phone paint. I said, "Were you? Did you park your car there? Were you just passing through there?" He said, "I was on my way to Emmy's." I said, "Okay, well, I'm I'm going to take that." When Bruce told me that he had used the credit card, I mean, I'm not going to lie, I I, mm-hmm. I jumped his case. I did. I, I I hit the roof. I was like, "What the hell did you use this card for?" Like, you know, I told you not to. You, you not only have money on the books, but I would have given you money and you didn't have to, you know, use his card for anything. So in that respect, yeah, uh, you know, it, that, that bothered me.
3: I mean, in other words, have you ever sat and said, listen, Bruce, you know, we've been through a lot and, you know, we both know that you weren't completely sober at that time. You admitted it, um, you know, and it, you know, you might have fallen on some hard times, made a bad choice, but I'm your sister. I'll always love you. I'll be and here for I'm, you always. You know, you need to I tell have, me the truth. And I have,
5: I have, and and I can usually tell by looking at Dwayne and him, Bruce in his eyes if he's not telling me the truth because we were the closest, you know, and and. Can
3: I ask Dana how um, how's Christina doing?
5: You know, unfortunately, Christina and I, even when we did uh, the show, we had um, a very stressful relationship, but I had reached out and tried. And mm. sometimes you just can't get there.
3: How do you think she took um, this information? Does it seem like is she still there think- for Bruce, but moved on?
5: I think she's still there for Bruce. I do think that she probably has moved on um, beyond the case and acceptance that he probably is going to remain where he's at Um, unless something
4: was to come forward. Dana, said I... I just wanted to say, listen, we appreciate you giving us a call. We hate that we couldn't give you any better news about your brother's case. Uh, We see by this call that you're going to keep on fighting. And, you know, we have no choice, but to honor that. But uh, we appreciate you taking the time out to give us this call today.
5: I appreciate y'all, and I appreciate all the work that y'all did. Mm-hmm. I really do, and I do think that y'all gave your honest opinion on where the case is, Chris. And I don't slight that for one minute. Um, and I'm not saying that that y'all are wrong. You know,
3: well, that, I hope you get the piece that you're looking for, Dana. We do because we know you'll continue this fight. Uh, you know, in, until you do get that. So hopefully, something does come to light.
5: Uh, but, uh, I, I keep y'all in my prayers, no matter what.
3: Thank you, Dana. Thank,
4: thank
5: you, Danny. Thank you,
3: too. Dana. Thank Appreciate you. it. it was my pleasure. Danny, thank you, you. so Bye. much love. Take care. Oh, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
2: All right. Well, uh, she's going to keep fighting, but, uh, it sounds like well, maybe, uh, that
3: Christina is at least hopefully, you know, still there for her brother, but moved on. Mm-hmm.
4: I hate that they so damaged the, the sister relationship between those two, because I really hope that they would kind of stick it out. They had such a tough life growing up. So
2: uh, Well, I know that was a tough case on you guys. Um, wow, an intense season so far. Many more episodes coming up. Please remember, uh, you can watch brand new episodes of Reasonable Doubt. Uh, we have 10 new cases this season, Monday nights, 10 p.m. on Investigation Discovery. On September 21st, they're all going to drop on Discovery Plus, and then you can just binge watch Chris and Fatima to your heart's content. Um, My name is Rob Rosen. I'm
4: the creator and executive producer of Reasonable Doubt. And I am Detective Chris Anderson, retired homicide investigator and the co-host of Reasonable Doubt.
3: And I'm Fatima Silva, criminal defense attorney and co-host of Reasonable Doubt.
4: Have a good week,
0: everybody.
1: Nickelodeon was kid everything. But that marked one of the darkest chapters. Three predators worked at Nickelodeon.
4: It made me wonder
5: who was being hurt. Quiet on set. An ID true crime event. Sunday, March 17th at 9. On ID and stream on Max.